Welcome to the Ready to Run podcast. I'm your host, Efren Kabalias, DO, sports medicine physician based out of the Boulder, Colorado area. And I'm your host, Kurt Roser, doctor of physical therapy, also based in the Boulder area. The goal of our podcast is to engage in thoughtful discussions with athletes, coaches, clinicians, and researchers to share knowledge within the field of sports medicine and inspire progression in the sport of running. We hope to empower individuals to navigate injuries, reduce injury risk, optimize training and performance, and provide listeners with the tools needed to get ready to run. You'll be able to listen to us on Apple iTunes and other podcast formats. You can also follow us on Instagram at ReadyToRunPodcast. This is our inaugural episode of the Ready to Run Podcast. Our first guest is Neely Spence Gracie. She is an American professional long distance runner. She attended Shippensburg University and won eight NCAA Division II titles. She was the top American female in the 2016 Boston Marathon. She currently lives and trains in Boulder, Colorado, where she is a coach for Get Running Coaching, wife and mother of two children, and co-author of the book Breakthrough Women's Running. During today's podcast, we're going to discuss Neely's personal history as a runner, her experience and thoughts on coaching with her program Get Running Coaching, And we'll dive deep into her new book, Breakthrough Women's Running, where we discuss goal setting, overcoming setbacks, and care of the postpartum athletes. We're excited to have her today and dive into some interesting discussions. Well, thank you for joining us for the first episode of the Ready to Run podcast. Uh, With all the accomplishments we've seen in women's distance running lately, it's an honor to have you here today after the recent release of your new book, Breakthrough Women's Running. So let's start how we're going to start every episode by telling the listeners who you are and what gets you ready to run. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am super honored to get to be a part of this inaugural podcast. (laughs) So thank you. Um, Yeah, I would say, gosh, I started running so long ago. um, So I have to kind of think about this question. Um, I started running in eighth grade, um, like, competitively um, before that running was just like always a part of my life. And so for me, you know, running, I feel like over the years has kind of just become like a part of my daily routine. It's kind of like I wake up, I have coffee, I brush my teeth, I run. Like that's just how I start every day. (laughs) And so for me, um, you know, running is just something that helps me start the day on the right foot. (laughs) And, uh, you know, puts me in the right mindset and helps me lead the lifestyle that I want to have. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, that's, yeah, so many of us are like routine oriented and that's like one thing that, um, maybe keeps us running like in the sport as, you know, as time goes on. So yeah, that's an interesting commonality. I think what are some of your like best memories as a runner, like, um, either like as a kid or high school or a collegiate athlete or pro athlete or now as a mom and coach? Yeah. So I've been running, like I said, since I was 13. So that's like coming up on 19 years this fall. And one thing that I think is really cool when we're talking about like the routine of running is that running can meet you where you're at in so many different phases of life. 
And I think that's something that's really unique and special. Um, you know, a lot of sports are just for um, being on a team in a high school setting or high school situation. Or maybe if you're lucky, you know, you've worked really hard, you get to pursue it into college. Um, but it's not really something that you like continue with as like a lifelong, you know, activity that you can do. And then for me, like, you know, I've competed at really high levels. Um, I've run just for fun. I have um, paid my dues when it's come to times off for injuries. I've run during pregnancy. I've not run during pregnancy. I've returned to run postpartum. I've, you know, and in all of these different ways, running has been there for me. Um, and so I think that's really unique and special. In terms of like very special memories that I have, um, you know, I think early on, I had a lot of those like really uh, big breakthroughs um, that really kept me going in the sport. And so those really stood out because I remember you know, dropping my 5k time from 29 minutes, 22 minutes to 19 minutes to 17 minutes mm -hmm. in like a relatively short amount of time, considering, yeah. you know, my PR has been the same for like eight years now in the 5k. <laughs> um, so I, re I think that those, those memories are pretty special because each of them like shocked me and surprised me, um, because they were such big jumps and it's kind of that double-edged sword of like, you know, the more time and energy you put into it, the more fit you get. And then you are working so hard to shave off just seconds, um, mm -hmm. at the end. But, um, you know, I think that those were pretty special. I remember very specifically when I was in eighth grade, my dad and I went to run a uh, St. Patrick's Day 5K in Baltimore. And my dad was competing um, as a master's runner. And he was still carrying on that like post-professional um, fitness for sure. And so he ended up winning in like 1440 or something um, <laughs> oh, wow. and crushed the field. And then he kind of like jogged back and he was waiting for me to come in at like, you know, 19 minutes or so. And I ended up running 1740 and he almost missed me because he was like <laughs> not expecting that I would be, you know, that close to him. <laughs> um, and that was like such a huge moment because we have this picture of me like crushing it, um, sprinting to the finish line with like all of these dudes around me and I'm like out kicking all these like grown men <laughs> this like little 13 year old girl um and I remember like that just being so shocking to me and amazing and there were definitely several times like that throughout my career where um I feel like everything just kind of clicked and I had that race that I didn't even know I was capable of and those were really special mm -hmm. nice that's awesome yeah, it's so it's so cool to think back to those times when yeah you have those like amazing jumps in performance yeah like thirty seconds or a minute in a five k and um yeah it's so cool that it's like tying into like yeah your dad's tradition of being like a, a professional runner um yeah and I think it's really interesting like as as you get older like you don't see those big time jumps as much anymore um so that's something that like uh, is a uh, I guess like. It's, luckily, I feel like with age, runners get happier with maybe like the process of training and just more balanced and fitting it into their life, which is something I feel like, yeah, you're really 
good at working with uh, like in your personal life and then probably with your athletes as well. Um, and then something I was curious to ask your opinion on, um, like with your experience as a high school athlete and then a college athlete and then a professional and then now as a mom and a coach, like something that Dr. Cabalas and I deal with a lot is um, helping people when they are injured and kind of reversing some of the things that they've maybe been taught or was part of their normal culture as a as a young person, like on that high school team or cross country team and, and trying to reverse some of those kind of bad habits or, or things. Um, and I think our sports moving in, in the right direction in, in that regard, in terms of things like diet, nutrition, um, strength training, all of those things that we like know more about. And, and we feel like it's, it's out there a lot more, but um, I guess like, do you think that we're doing enough like as coaches or clinicians um, to like kind of help young people avoid some of the, you know, mistakes that like, you know, we all made when we were younger with uh, maybe not eating enough or not doing enough strength training or overtraining, just like all of those kind of standard things. Yeah, I think that we're definitely making strides forward in that regard, like you said. I, when I look back at, um, you know, my high school career is probably different than most kids' high school um, just because my dad was my coach. And so I had a high school coach, but my dad kind of gave me all of my workouts because my high school coach was, you know, pretty much like, hey, I don't want to mess things up. Like you're really – what you're doing works, so like let's just stick with that and I'll just like help implement and support it. So – I kind of got lucky in that regard, and I feel like there are a lot of really good high school coaches, but there are also still a lot of um, very old school mindset uh, coaches with the like no pain, no gain mentality. And I think that this is where there is like a pro for social media um, because we didn't have that whenever I was in high school. Um, It was like you looked up stuff on mile split and that was it. (laughs) And so I think now, um, you know, kids can talk and they can follow pros. They can follow, you know, people in the sport, people supporting the sport like you two. And they can learn a lot more and see – you know, some of the things that they can do. So even if they have a coach that maybe isn't as up to date on some stuff, um, they still have access to that information. So I think we've made some progress forward. Um, You know, personally, as a coach, I work with three high school runners right now. um, And I kind of support them during their seasons. Some of them, their high school coaches write their plan. And then, you know, I kind of step in as like a female um, support role model, um, person for them where I provide strength training or I provide, um, fueling guidance and kind of like the, all the other things outside of, um, exactly workouts and, you know, what they're doing at practice. And so we talk a lot about like mindset and race strategies and recovery and that sort of thing. Um, and so I have some athletes that I do that for. I have other athletes who their high school coach is just like, Hey, 
you can do whatever you want to do. You're so much better than the rest of the kids. I'm just going to work on the rest of the kids who just want to be here for fun. And you have your own coach and you just do your thing, show up at practice. And that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of worked both ways. And so I think that it's pretty unique that they have that experience. And I know that other high schoolers have, you know, been able to pursue that as well. And so I think there is like a good amount of support out there. And I think we're definitely tracking forward in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. There's just so much more information out there and um, changing like the beliefs. And yeah, I think giving, giving people access earlier on to yeah, whether it's mental health or dietitian or um, whatever advice yeah. it is that they need. Yeah. And I mean, look how fast the high school girls are now compared to when I was running. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the things there is they have access to things like, you know, proper strength training ideas, um, you know, fueling. And I know, you know, personally, I, whenever I was competing in high school at a really high level and I was at the Foot Locker National Championships, like if I look back on those two years that I was at Foot Locker, very few of mm-hmm. us are still running mm-hmm. from those 40 girls from each of those years. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like that's kind of shifting and we're seeing more and more of those girls like continue on into really successful high, like college and like into the pro years now. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the case. And I think a lot of it was this mindset of like, you know, exhaust as much as you can. And these young girls have these big engines and these tiny frames. And if we can like keep them before they hit maturity, then they can, um, you know, be super successful. But then either they're going to break into a million pieces because they haven't taken care of themselves or they're going to hit maturity, slow down, and then we'll just move on. And I feel like we are moving away from those things. Um, And it's, you know, parents are recognizing that's not the only option. Um, Coaches are recognizing that that's not a good approach or healthy approach. And so, you know, I don't blame the athletes. I blame the people who were supporting them and didn't do their job. Um, And so I'm, I'm hopeful that we see more and more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a fine line because we, we see a lot of these people maybe in their post-collegiate years when um, some of these bad habits have been around for a long time. And we spend a lot of time just kind of undoing a lot of that. And some of the stuff is may potentially be irreversible. Like particularly, I think of like like bone injuries, mm-hmm. where you know you think of the bone you have as the bone you get by eighteen. So if someone's had like two or three stress factors in high school, and then we're you know treating them later in life, um, you know there's only a certain amount of potential we can do to get back at that point. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, and like specializing in sports early. Um, now we know like kids that play. Uh, ball sports, whether it's basketball, volleyball, um, whatever, if you play that through adolescence when you're developing your your skeletal structure, you're going to have stronger bones for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and also less dense bones. Like as adults, we can our bone density can improve, but that comes with um, uh, weight cost of, of your bones stronger, but it's it's not the same as, um, as when you get it when you're young. So mm-hmm. I think there's some research out there and that's being integrated at young levels um in most places in in the u.s um certainly varies region to region i think a little bit um but yeah i think definitely moving in the right direction and you kind of touched on it a little bit but like just kind of like as broadly or specifically as you want to go into detail but like kind of your your philosophy as a coach like for yeah like your your main demographic of of, uh, folks you're working with 
Yeah. So I think it's really interesting because it's kind of changed over the years. When I first started my coaching business back in 2013, um, I started with like five Facebook friends and they were all men. (laughs) And so I was just like helping these men um, work towards their running goals. And it was awesome. And I am so grateful that they trusted me to help them. Um, And then I feel like over the years, it's definitely become a lot more predominantly women. And so that was kind of you know, really exciting as I started to have this opportunity to write the book because it was something that I felt really passionate about and competent in um, because that's kind of exactly the demographic that I've been working with. It's kind of this like post-collegiate to like, you know, 40s or so. Um women runners, a lot of moms who, you know, used to run and then post kids are trying to get back into it. Um, and so that's, uh, I would say that's like something that I've kind of learned over time. That is my area of interest. Um, for the most part, I mean, I have some really awesome guys that I work with and I've really enjoyed being a part of their support team, but I think that it, you know, has definitely shifted where predominantly I'm working with women. Um, I used to coach more high school kids and I've kind of backed off from that. So yeah, I would say, um, you know, philosophy wise, I, I remember the first time an athlete asked me that and I was like, Oh my God, what do I say? This is so like intense. Um, and I feel like that's something that I've also developed over the years. Um, I, you know, my, my training growing up as an athlete was predominantly Jack Daniels focused. Mm -hmm. Um, my dad, as my coach in high school and college, really kind of utilized the Jack Daniels formulas and uh, his book and training philosophies. Um, And then, of course, his own experiences as an athlete. Um, So all of those things, you know, were kind of integrated um, in me from the beginning. And then out of college, I joined the Hansons. And so I got to learn their philosophies and, um, you know, read the book, gained a lot of information about the marathon specifically because, Um, you know, I was a 5k runner in college, so it was completely Mm -hmm. different. And then I'm a Lydiard certified coach. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn kind of that method. Um, and I worked with Steve Magnus for a while. And so getting to know some of his, um, training philosophies. So I've kind of just combined a lot of those things. Um, and, I would say for the most part, um, my philosophy is very focused on building confidence in the athlete. I would much rather see someone a little bit undertrained, but happy, healthy, and excited to be at the start line than someone who's overcooked, slightly injured, and not ready um, (laughs) to mentally tackle a marathon or their race of the day. So my 
my approach is a four phase um, step in training. I definitely tend to do longer buildups instead of shorter, intense buildups. I really like um, personally and with my athletes to not force things or rush the process. I think it's really key to kind of naturally build and develop, um, take the appropriate steps chip away as you go. And then not only does the confidence build as you go, but also that fitness just naturally progresses. Um, it's less stressful in the body, less risk of injury and a lot more fun for my athletes. So Mm That's, um, you know, definitely the approach that I like to have. Not to say that I haven't worked with athletes who needed a quicker buildup or an athlete got hurt mid buildup. And so we had to, you know, readjust things and they still wanted to make it to the start line. So we did what we could to make that happen. Um, but I would say for the most part, my philosophy is very much like a systematic progression. Yeah, that's interesting. And we'll, we'll, we'll dive more into your book here in a sec. But um, one of the thought, things I thought was cool was when you talk about process goals versus outcome goals. Um, can you just touch on like what that means for you and like how you apply that with your athletes? Totally. Yeah. So I, in college, I was a communication major and a coaching minor. And one of my coaching classes was sports psychology. And I loved it. And I found it to be so applicable to me. And That's where I first learned about this whole idea of the process goals and the outcome goals. And so an outcome goal is like those, that big goal, like I want to run this time. I want to place this number. Um, So for example, that might be, I want to Boston qualify. And so that's the big goal, right? And then it's like, okay, you set that big outcome goal and now for the whole season, what are your process goals going to be so that you can get to that big goal? And the process goals can shift. Um, Sometimes you only need them for a week or two. Sometimes you need them for a month or two. Sometimes you need them for that whole season, whatever it may be. But it could be things like, I will go to the PT once a month during my buildup. I will uh, get my blood work done twice during my buildup to make sure that my iron levels are tracking in the right direction so that it can be successful in my race. I will get seven hours or eight hours of sleep every night. You know, whatever those goals might be um, that are going to help you get to that big goal. And so I definitely work with my athletes um, with this because I think that it's it's also helping to frame the race as the race is one day and you might do five months of training to get to this race. So you have, you know, almost half a year's worth of work and energy and daily grind going into this big goal. So you have to have these small goals to celebrate along the way, to check things off, to see that progress forward um, so that you can keep that outcome goal at the forefront of your mind um, and work towards it, but then also recognize that, Sometimes things don't go our way on race day. Sometimes that outcome goal, we need, you know, a B and C because that A isn't going to be possible. Um, I think about this with like really hot races, for example, right? Like we can be as fit as we possibly can, but if we have a time goal and we show up on a hot day, it's it may or may not happen. And so what can we do to be really happy with the result of that day despite it maybe not being our A outcome goal that we've trained for for the whole season. 
Do you think some of that's evolved like over the years, just even in your own running or, you know, being a mother of two, um, trying to balance like all these things, author now, um, how has that affected like the way you approach like running um, and your own goals? Yeah, I, I've totally utilized these strategies. Um, I'm always someone that I like to set goals that are right at my fingertips. And this is something that I've kind of questioned over the years because, you know, I know some really amazing pro athletes who say things like, I'm going to win the Olympics or I am going to make this Olympic team or I am going to run the A standard or whatever it may be. That's these really high goals and like many steps above where they are currently at. And that's what motivates them. That's what they thrive on. They wake up every day dreaming about these big goals. And for me, that is overwhelming, intimidating, and not fun or inspiring. And I kind of question like, oh my gosh, am I even cut out to like be a professional athlete if I don't have these like crazy big goals? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, of course I'd love to make an Olympic team, but I'm not going to let that goal define whether or not my career was a success. And so for me, it's like, well, you know, to make an Olympic team, you have to first make the Olympic trials. So that becomes my goal. And then it's right there. It's at my fingertips. I know it's possible. I know that that's within my wheelhouse. And then we kind of go from there. Okay, if I can make the Olympic trials, then we see what I can do on, you know, in the buildup to the Olympic trials itself and what goals I can set for that day. Um, and so, you know, I've done this personally at much smaller scales also um, with, you know, trying to um, get the book out, for example. Like <laughs> that was, <laughs> we, um, my, my book was uh, scheduled to, um, we had to submit like our entire first draft, everything the manuscript of it all, um, the day of my due date with Rome. And so I was like, well, that's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I pushed everything two weeks early. So everyone worked with me to make that happen. Um, our publisher, my co-author, they all were like, all right, we're going to like crunch things. We're going to make sure that we can get that deadline pushed up. And so we did. Um, we scheduled it for June 14th at 10 a.m. And so we were going to get online all together on a Zoom and hit submit. And it was going to be this like really special moment. And Rome was born June 14th at 1038 a.m. <laughs> and so I did not make that deadline, um, but my co-author was able to do it for me. And so, you know, it was just one of those where I like did the best I could to plan and organize. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes there's unforeseen events and it was very similar to a race and how I would approach a race. That sounds like Rome's goal was to be more on June 14th. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he got it. <laughs> Wanted to beat the book, beat the book out. Um, yeah. How did you guys come up with the name of the book? Yeah. Um, it's really hard. The name of the book is it, it, took a really long time. So we had breakthrough. We had that picked. That was our name. Um, Cindy, my co-author, she has a book out called Rebound. And I really liked how it was just like one strong word. And then it has like, you know, a little subtitle. And 
that was kind of our goal from the start. And Dylan and I were actually out on a run and we came up with the word breakthrough. And then I presented it to Cindy and she's like, yes, that's, that's perfect. Like this book for women running. And so we had this like list going of all these words that, um, you know, we kind of felt like would go well with that and would explain what we wanted um, out of the book. And we knew we needed to include something about women specifically, um, but it took us a long time. And we started in March of 2020 brainstorming about the book and everything. And I would say it wasn't until July or August of last year um, <laughs> that we finally nailed down the the full title. So yeah, nice. it was really tough. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, cool. I like it. Yeah, it has a good like call to action and yes. And uh, going back to like the process oriented uh, goals, um, that's something that like working with runners in, in clinic as a PT is. Uh, we try to do the same thing because uh, oftentimes you know runners we all tend to a lot of times be like task completion types of people where we're like, I, I ran 10 miles, I ran 80 miles a week, I ran my tempo at this pace or whatever. And um, people will kind of like do anything to accomplish that. And then that's what gets them, you know, injured in, in here. So coming back, we're trying to kind of change that mindset. So I really liked how you were talking about just kind of like teaching people that on the front end. And yeah, because in, in PT or coming back from an injury, we're trying to get people to focus on their, maybe their quality of movement or, um, yeah, maybe you didn't get to run as much as you wanted to, but your uh, patellofemoral knee pain felt better and you still ran, you know, an hour every day of the week. So yeah, just kind of reminding people that there's all the things that they still can do, um, even when things aren't going to that perfect standard that they had yeah. maybe planned out in their, their perfect scenario. And then one of the things that I really liked about that you talked about a lot in the book, and I feel like is a something that you've learned from your own personal experience as well and selfishly, um, Tracy and I are having a baby very soon. So I was interested in the postpartum running and your expertise on that. Um, and then we were also just reading there's some some new guidelines that came out a couple of years ago for returning to run postnatal, which um, were actually like pretty, pretty uh, informative for me as a PT who works with pelvic floor PTs. Um, and I think super helpful. So um, some key points in there were like, all moms should go see a pelvic floor PT postpartum and um, kind of get like almost like clearance to run. And then the other big thing for me is not at six weeks encouraging people to get back to running, but they're saying more more at 12 weeks should be kind of the, the earliest that pretty much anybody should kind of try to start running postpartum. So yeah, like just kind of your thoughts and your, your maybe experiences on that. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring this up because... I am just like what you said. I need actionable things that I can work towards. And otherwise, I'm kind of psychotic, right? Like, we all kind of have, you know, have, know exactly what that can do if um, we're just going off of what we want versus what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so... If I have something that I can check off, that I can see progress, that I can say, okay, I couldn't do this last week, but I could do it this week. That's huge. And so, you know, we see this with injury. We see it with new runners who are trying to, you know, work up to a goal or work up to, you know, being able to run f without taking walk breaks or whatever it may be. Um, we see this with postpartum runners. 
And so I found, you know, my first pregnancy was in 2018. Um, and then my second one was 2021. And so just the time from when I had Athens to the time when I had Rome, so much more information came out. Hmm. When I had Athens, I looked and looked for help and support and guidance in some kind of checkmark list that I could follow. Mm -hmm. And there was <laughs> nothing. It was like so depressing. And I, I basically just started reaching out to other mom runners and mm -hmm. started to like just create a network of support um, based off of what their experiences were, mm -hmm. which was really helpful. But of course, everyone tends to have a little bit of a unique experience. Sure. And so for me, one of the most um, helpful people that I talked to was Sarah Vaughn because oh, yeah. she had gone through three pregnancies at that time um, mm -hmm. because Davy was born after Athens. And so now that she's had four, she has said this, you know, from the start though, every pregnancy is different, not yeah. just every person. Mm -hmm. And so that proved to be really true for me with my two pregnancies. With Athens, I wasn't really able to run that much. Um, my body was just a lot more stressed and my return to run was really uncomfortable. I was not ready to return to run, but I didn't have anything to tell me whether I was ready or not. It was just like, okay, I heard like once you stop bleeding, it means that your body's healed. And if you run and you don't bleed again, then you're fine. Like that was the information that I had. Um, and I like tried to start with like run, walk, and that was fine. But like it, my body just wasn't in a good place. Um, so were you, you were like, how many weeks uh, after Athens was born? Were you... I, six. Oh, at six. Yeah, okay. I started at six. Um, I gave myself a little bit of time. I started like cross training first and then mm -hmm. um, I went on long walks, which I heard was really good. And that's still something that's important. Um, I did the ReCore fitness program, which was all about like rebuilding the core and pelvic floor post uh, postpartum. And... Like I did a lot of things right, but I, I just, I wasn't ready to run yet. Um, but then I went to my OB and she was like, yep, everything's good. Like you're healed. Um, and you can get back to it. And I don't think that, um, you know, with no fault to her, I feel like that's where, um, having a, pelvic floor PT who can do an internal exam and really get to know like where your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and now once I had Rome, I worked with a pelvic floor PT prior to hit delivery, which I was like, why would you do that with like, but then I started to learn and it was like, so helpful to mm -hmm. have her eyes on me while I was pregnant. So then she could see the whole transformation after and just kind of track some of like the things that she was wondering about. And so I ended up seeing her after I delivered at seven weeks and I was actually cleared to run at that point. But she gave me this checkmark list and it was like, all of these strength exercises, if you can complete all of these exercises, your body feels good, nothing feels heavy or unstable, um, 
and you're not sore, you know, nothing hurts during and you're not sore after, then that's a really good sign. Um, And then she gave me a movement assessment and it was like, you have to be able to hop on one foot for 30 seconds or whatever. And you have to be able to, you know, do different leaps and you have to be able to run in place for a minute. You have to be able to walk for an hour. You have, there are all of these things. And once I could go through and check all of those off, then it showed me, okay, my body is strong enough, stable enough, and healed and ready to start that return to run. And then I still started with 10 by run a minute, walk a minute, and built up from there. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up about um, seeking care before, like during the pregnancy period, because there's a really great paper published in uh, the British Journal of Sports Medicine by uh, uh, Grania Donnelly, um, 2022, where they talk about the six R's framework. Have you seen this? Yes. Yeah. So, um, for you know, for listeners and stuff, um, basically they 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 talk about almost like it's almost like prehab for for your pregnancy, where you're taking into account what your pre um, before you have the baby, what your exercise level was like before. Um, so that, that factors into then how you retrain back to that level after, um, but also starts preparing you for the strength and looking at things from a whole systems, not just, you know, you have your baby and then you have your six weeks check and it's like this magical time point where everything like feels okay and you're clear to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, everyone has a different pregnancy. Everyone has a different delivery and there's going to be lots of different levels of stress and trauma. If men went through what women go through we during survive. pregnancy and labor, <laughs> correct, um, <laughs> yeah. then, uh, there would be so much more support um, than what we currently have. And, you know, that's it's it's fine it's fine well it's it's not bitter at all Um, but it's definitely one of those that you know what we need is every woman needs access to free pelvic floor therapy before and after delivery Mm -hmm. and it's it should be seen as like a major surgery essentially like if you had your hip replaced you go through this exact protocol with pt with seeing a doctor with all of these things um to have this steady progression of strength rebuilt healing all of these check marks along the way and then you're cleared um and that's exactly the same mindset that we need to have um it's just that you know, we're not quite there yet, but we are seeing progress, right? And yeah, I have seen a lot of really good things start to come out just from the time that it had Athens to now. Um, and so I'm really encouraged by that. And I hope that this is something that, you know, I feel like the U.S. is a little bit behind on in some ways, but then there are other countries who are even that much further behind, and then there are some that are ahead. And so I really hope that we can kind of all keep moving forward so that we can, you know, provide more support for for moms, um, you know, not just <laughs> running moms, but everyone. Um, yeah. But I'm glad that at least I have a platform in the running world where I can share this. Yeah, I think we couldn't agree more. And it's interesting too, because that, that the paper that we're referencing, um, this guideline came out in 2019. So it would have been exactly between your two pregnancies. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I've listened to a podcast um, oh, sure. and, with yeah. them. And yeah, it was very eye-opening and interesting. And I... I was actually listened to it on a run when I was pregnant with Rome. And so that is something that I have continued to push out um, 
to my athletes and to lots of other women who have messaged me over Instagram um, over the past couple of years because I feel like, um, you know, again, this is another awesome aspect of social media where I have built up this like community of, you know, the running community is great, but then there's like the sub community of mother runners. And I feel like I've been able to really support and help a lot of other mother runners, just like, you know, I've been learning in this process. And so I, I feel really grateful that I was able to, you know, share my experiences with them over social media. And now I have a whole chapter in the book called Ready, Set, Grow about pregnancy and postpartum running. And I feel like I'm just so happy that that is there and it's the most updated information as of now. Yeah. And one of the things too that um, I think is important to highlight is uh, the the incidence of like relative energy deficiency in sport or RED-S. Um, and thinking about that in the in the postpartum period, because some of the factors they talk about are like sleep deprivation, lack of routine, um, your eating habits are altered, pressure to get back to running, a certain physique, and uh, you know if, if you're a breastfeeding mother, you are the sole proprietor of food for that child for however long you choose to do that. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, and it's interesting that you say that, and that was another awesome check mark list that my pelvic floor PT provided me. And um, it was like 14 questions where um, it was like a number tally at the end. And it had things like, are you anxious? Do you feel um, like your body is under stress? Um, do you have any postpartum anxiety stuff? Are you sleeping less than seven hours a night. There was like kind of this whole thing. And then at the end, you tallied up your score. And if it was over a certain amount, you were at a higher risk for injury. Mm. Um, and so I've utilized that with some of my athletes as well. Um, and that's been a really nice marker because, you know, I've had athletes who have started working with me right off the bat at that, you know, six to 12 weeks postpartum. And so I have been able to provide them that information and then we like reassess in like two months and we see where they're at so that we know, okay, we can continue to move forward with training and increase intensity or we can't until we can get this number in a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe we can put um, those two pap- papers that we're referencing up in our show notes maybe for, yeah. for people to look at. Yeah, I think um, that'd be great. And uh, yeah, I was just... this jumped in my head um there's i read this somewhere there's like a 17 year gap i'm pretty sure it was 17 years between like when researchers find out something um to it trickling down to clinicians you know gps pts doctors wh- whatever your clinician is integrating that like across at a broad scale um like in a, like crazy. in our entire healthcare system so it takes a really long time for like you know this is like you know, fairly new framework. So like eventually this will be yeah, like a common part of the... So when my kids are in college... Your kids have hope. Yeah. <laughs> my kids have hope that their wives and their children yeah. will benefit. Yeah, it. yeah. But totally like like we've been going to some, some classes like through our hospital system and like this should, that should be like a class is like when to go to see a uh, pelvic floor PT and what to expect and like how to like start working on that before like you give birth and um, yeah, like 
because uh, I think, yeah, it's still very new. And um, like you were able to find some good answers for yourself through the people like that, that, you know, but like, yeah, eventually this will translate into, into helping all women. Well, and um, we also live in a very progressive fitness area, you yeah. know, not everywhere is Boulder County. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I feel like we have a bit of a head start in that regard, just because of the culture of like our area. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there are so many places that I could, I mean, just talking with like my sister who lives in North Carolina mm-hmm. and like the support and by support, I mean, lack of that <laughs> she has received in like the postpartum phase is just mind blowing. Yeah. And then, oh yeah, I wanted to give context to Sarah Vaughn. I think after, I think it was after the their third child, I think she ran a, like a 403, 1500. Like, yes. I think that was within a year of it was like birth. right yeah, yeah right before i think cassie turned a year yeah which is like pretty mind-blowing um so I, yeah i just i always always remember that and that's like i think again one of the really amazing things about social media is you can see what's possible but also like um like you were saying like we have to remember that 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 doesn't need to be our goal is to be you know running a, a 1500 meter pr within a year but that yeah it's possible and every everyone's different every pregnancy is different and then yeah, just I think the more information that's out there for people is is better. Yeah, and that's something that I stress in my book a lot is like it's called breakthrough, but a breakthrough doesn't necessarily mean a PR. A breakthrough can be a lot of different things. And for me, you know, I after I had Athens, it was a really hard pregnancy. It was a really hard first year after Efren knows he was my doctor and I bawled my eyes out <laughs> when I found out I had a, you know, a femoral neck stress fracture. And I think and I told you to be on crutches for eight weeks, which is like <laughs> thinking about like my, my, my son's like 16 months old and having yep. to chase him around. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, no exactly. Way. <laughs> um, he, he was like, you have to go on crutches. And I was like, I can't. My, Athens was just turned a year. He just learned how to walk. And I was like. I will just have to take extra weeks off. And I did. I ended up having to take 10 weeks totally off um, before I was able to, like, even bike for 10 minutes. um, Wow. Because I couldn't not, like, be on my feet and (laughs) chasing him around and carrying him around. And, you know, it was the summer in Boulder. It's like Mm. I, I... can't like not be outside you know and so I had to really put those like time uh frame aside where before kids it would be like I will do absolutely everything I will sit in a wheelchair for that long if that's what it takes you know (laughs) so that I can run again and I had to totally reframe like how I was going to approach that injury um and I remember you saying like the only thing you can do is swim with a buoy between your legs and I went to the pool one time and I did that and I was so miserable and I was like I hate this this is not fun at all and if i'm going to be away from my kid and pay someone to watch my kid i'm not going to spend my time doing this <laughs> so i had to like find you know i had to be okay with like not exercising at all um which emotionally is really challenging um and it knocks you off that routine that if we circle mm-hmm. back to the beginning is so important to me um but i had to you know adjust and adapt um but yeah, it was it was really challenging and um you know, then I shift to like my second pregnancy and I ran every single day of that pregnancy, ran the day I went into labor. Um 
and my body recovered so much better. I started running, um, you know, at that seven weeks postpartum body felt good. Um, and it's been, you know, a really nice progression so far. Um, and I've been so much less stressed this time. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the confidence that I didn't have the first time around. The first time around, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to be the same. I don't think I'm ever going to get back to where I was before. And, you know, I was able to, after that injury, kind of rebound and um, complete my goal of qualifying for the 2020 Olympic trials off of six weeks of training. Mm. Um, And I ran nine minutes slower than my PR, but it was a huge breakthrough for me. The mm-hmm. fact that I was able to check that goal off reinstilled so much confidence in myself that I still had it and I also still loved it. Mm-hmm. And that was so important for me because I felt like I kind of lost that little flicker, that flame of desire. Um, mm-hmm. And when I was able to meet that goal, I realized that it was still there. Um, and so it was something that I wanted to pursue And then I ended up, 2020, um, I ended up getting in really good shape. I just didn't have any races to show. Um, But fortunately for me, no one really had races to show. Um, And so I think I'm kind of able to still ride some of those, like, pre-kid performances as a result. Um, And so, you know, I'm starting to set goals for myself. I'm starting to reach out to race directors and be like, hey, you know, I kind of want to race again. And even though a lot of it is like, well, what have you done in the last two years? And I'm like, nothing. I have done nothing in the last two years. (laughs) That is, you know, of note. However, you know, a lot of people have that same answer. Yeah, um, totally. And so I do feel fortunate that I have, you know, the ability to say, hey, I was in really good shape in 2020. I was really set and primed to race well. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. I had a race on the calendar and then I got pregnant unexpectedly. And so, you know, I took some time to have this extended maternity leave from my first until now I wrote this book And now I'm starting to get back into it. Nice. Like anything in particular, like race wise, you're like starting to get excited about like distances or or things that you're like, I don't know, kind of what's getting your what's getting you uh, excited for for training or for the future? Yeah. So I'm looking to qualify for my fourth Olympic trials. So that's kind of my Mm -hmm. my big main goal here Mm -hmm. uh, in the marathon. Nice. So that's my approach for the next year-ish. They haven't announced where the They haven't announced the location. Right no. Um and the the window did open though. So like the qualification window is open. Um in 2020, I qualified on the final day of the window and it was just 4 weeks out from the Olympic trials itself, um, which was very less than ideal. So I'm certainly looking to not um, push it <laughs> to the very last second um, and then to also be able to have time for a full buildup into the Olympic trials so that that can be a good performance also. Um, and so that's kind of my long term for the moment. Um, Short term, I just need to get back into racing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I will be sticking to mostly local events. I signed up for the Boulder Boulder. Nice. Um, I had like a an A wave auto or something. Um, so mm-hmm. I was super pumped about that. So mm-hmm. I signed up for that, and I'm just gonna kind of do some like local events that don't require travel because with breastfeeding that's really complicated. Um, mm-hmm. and then. You know, once I feel ready to commit to something, um, then I'll put that on the calendar and we'll travel and make it happen. Nice. Boulder Boulder would be fun. Have you run that before? I have. I've run every year um, that we've been here, but not the pandemic years. Okay, cool. So we'll just touch on a a couple last points here. But in your book, you talk about how some of the biggest breakthroughs come after some of the biggest setbacks. And... um, what I particularly like is when you talk about the section about feeling your feelings. Um, I want to kind of dive into that before we wrap up here, because I can't help but think of that movie, um, Inside Out. Have you, have you seen this? Yes, have you guys with seen all this? the emotions. Yeah, so basically, for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's like this little Disney Pixar movie, and um, it follows like this little 11-year-old girl who's moving from Minnesota to San Francisco. Anyways, all her emotions are these little cartoon characters in her head, and there's like joy, there's anger. Um, their sadness and basically they go through this whole journey and they find that they need in order to feel joy and appreciate joy they have to feel sadness and they have to have <laughs> all these feelings and balance and so when, when i read that chapter I thought that was the first thing i thought about but can, can you just like touch on how how you um encourage athletes to process their emotions navigate setbacks and then maybe give some final points about um how people can achieve their own breakthrough yeah I think that is such an important part of that chapter. Um, And, you know, I'm the first to admit that I've had lots of times where I haven't allowed myself to feel the feelings um, or I have let myself wallow in the feelings for much too long. (laughs) And so it's definitely a tricky balance there between the two. But I know personally – it's really key to make sure that we recognize that we have to have that to process and move forward. And so whenever I have an athlete who is going through something like that, which I currently do, and she actually, um, I have two athletes actually who uh, messaged me and on some of the other podcasts that I've done recently, they they both said like they made them cry because they realized that they hadn't let themselves really truly feel um, their sadness and their heartbreak of, you know, their injuries that they're currently dealing with and how they really miss running and how they're upset and they're frustrated and they're angry. And I think that um, – you know, one, it's important to say, hey, these feelings are real and they're valid. And it's okay, even though there's bad things happening in the world and there are other much more sad and difficult and challenging things that people are going through. Um, I still need to feel these feelings. It doesn't need to be diminished. Um, and that's something that took me a long time to figure out because I would be like, well, I don't deserve to feel upset because, you know, so-and-so's like dad just died in a car accident and I'm just over here injured. Um, and so it's like, 
really important to recognize that those are two very different things, but that it doesn't take away from those feelings being like real and important. Um, and so that is something that I really encourage my athletes to talk about. Um, and also the thing that I found, um, that helps me is writing it down kind of just like keeping a journal or, you know, writing a letter to me, or they can write a letter to anyone or just keep it for themselves, but just writing out their feelings and their thoughts and their emotions and like what makes them mad and sad and upset and angry. And so then once you get all that out, then you can actually be like, okay, now I need a plan. And once we get a plan, we start to be able to move forward and we start to be able to see progress and we start to be able to say, okay, I can't do what I want to do right now, but I can do these things. And so that's what I'm going to focus my energy on. And then once you start checking those things off, then you can go to the next step. Um, and so then that progression starts to happen, then that happiness returns, then that confidence kind of starts to grow again. Um, and also making sure that you reach out to those people who are in your support network and like, don't, fight it alone type of thing. Um, and so those are some things that I've, you know, encouraged my athletes to do. I'm part of their support network, but I can't be everything. And so I've had athletes who I've referred to sports psychologists. I've had athletes who I've referred to therapists. I've had athletes who I suggest they see a PT or a, you know, doctor that knows, um, the running culture and the running world and can support them more fully. And so, I think it's really key to make sure that as a runner, you build up that support system um, so that when things don't go your way, because it is kind of inevitable as we push our bodies to do things that we've never done before and that we really want, there are going to be challenges and setbacks and, you know, sometimes things that we could have prevented and sometimes things that we really had no control over. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's super helpful. I really like how how you framed it. Like, it's okay to be upset about something as you know, quote unquote, um, not as important as like just not being able to run. Like, um, to to us or to anyone who that's part of their their lifestyle, it's really important. And um, I hear people say that all the time, and um, they're, they're like, well, you know, it's just my Achilles. I I really don't have anything to complain about. But when it's a big part of your your life and your stress management and um, you know your identity and family life, friends, all this stuff and social network. Yeah, that's, that's a really, I'm going to use that with people. It's, it's okay to be uh, upset about it. Um, Cause I think people are a lot of times like they don't want to admit that they're like, this is really like bugging them to whip all of the things that are, that are like not going well in the world, you know, on a global totally. scale. Yeah. And then, yeah, like uh, one of the things that I always tell people is like, one of the things that makes running special is that it, you're going to get injured. There's like a 90% injury rate. Like every, almost everyone that runs is going to have to take at least a day off every year of unplanned time, which like if it's only a day, that's, I think you're doing pretty darn good. Oh yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, one of the things that makes running special is it's indifferent than other in, endurance sports where there's a lot less injuries is that like it, we're going to have to deal with that and put up with it. And if you want to keep being a runner and if you want to be a successful long-term athlete, like you're going to have to find ways to work through those injuries. So um, I think it kind of makes, makes our tribe kind of a, a special tribe. So I do like to say that to people and I think it resonates with some people, but um, it is one of the things about running, like your things, you're going to get injured. So. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, 
it's inevitable. And like I said, I mean, it could be getting COVID when you, <laughs> you know, have taken precautions. Um, and it's a setback. It's something that is, was out of your control, essentially. Um, and it's devastating because it knocks you off from the path that you were on. And there's also the unknown of, is it going to be a week? Is it going to be a month? Is it going to be six months? Like, how long will it take for my body to fully be able to, like, recover and move forward from this? Um, then you have things like my femoral neck stress fracture where I was having problems with my right hip and that was the one that was giving me all the issues. And then it was my left one that, you know, broke. And it was like, how did that happen? I had no issues with that side and that was not my, you know, in my thought at all. And I was just out on a run and in the last mile, like felt a stab in my hip. And so you know, I definitely was like, oh my God, my body hates me. It's, it's <laughs> done. It just like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end. My body just like won't cooperate anymore. You know, and I went through all of those emotions. Like I don't even trust it because it gave me no warnings. <laughs> and, um, but then I've had other injuries where it's like, well, definitely could have prevented that one if I would have only not been stubborn and decided to do my hundred mile week on a sore foot. And then now I have a fractured, you know, metatarsal or whatever it is. Um, and then there's other things where you're like, well, you know, my first pregnancy, I couldn't run and I had a lot of SI joint pain. And I think a lot of it was just the position that Athens was in and the pressures that he was putting on my body. Um, and I carried Rome a little differently and I didn't have that pressure, you know, um, and that was nothing I could control. But I did totally go through that like identity crisis of, you know, I can't run and who am I if I can't run and what do I do with my life if I can't run and my routine is off and how do I create a new routine and that was really challenging. And so, you know, then I've had times where I've done like run streaks and then like something happens and you're like, oh my God, do I, do I do the smart thing and take a break and like take a couple days off or do I push through and maybe if I just do one mile, maybe it'll be okay. Um, you know, and sometimes I push through and sometimes it's fine and sometimes I push through and it's not fine at all. And sometimes I take time off. And so it's really interesting how, you know, how those all those things can play out and manifest. Um, and I think ultimately what it comes down to is being really in tune with your body is so key. And then having people to ground you and support you and encourage you to make the correct choices and decisions and not have the no pain, no gain mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, that's all great advice. And you can you can check a lot of that out in your in your book. It's a great read. I know Kurt and I have both taken a look already and read through most of the chapters and a lot of your really great workouts and routines, um, which you can find this on Amazon. Um, anywhere else? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Um, Breakthrough Women's Running, Dream Big and Train Smart. I also have it for sale on my own personal site. So if you want an autographed copy for the same price, um, and that's getrunningcoaching.com. And if you just follow me on Instagram at Neely S. Gracie, I'll be posting all those links consistently. Well, thanks so much for your time. This has been awesome. Um, I know your time is precious, so we'll let you get back to your kiddos. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been really fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. <laughs>